Somebody forgot to tell NHL GMs that the offseason had ended because we saw five key signings in a span of five days. It's either that or GMs don't want to take a chance on losing them next summer. Take your pick. Plus, a pair of injuries could cost the Vegas Golden Knights in a number of ways. Episode 290 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we get into the signings portion of this episode, and we have a few notable ones to mention, a pair of Golden Knights, uh, Brett, have uh, hit uh, the injury ward, and it's uh, not looking good for one of them. Uh, no. So, yeah, it's uh, as, as Steve alluded to in the lead-in, um, Mark Stone and Patches appear to be injured. Um, I guess th- th- it's unclear about when Mark Stone will be back, um, but it appears that uh, Patches will be out for at least six weeks. Um, either way, even if Mark Stone's like out for like two or three games, this is a huge blow to the Vegas Golden Knights because you know that's their, not only is he their captain, he's their best player. He's also like um, he's like a big reason why Steve had him had Vegas winning the cup this year. Um, it appears, um, I, 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 according to Freeman, it doesn't say what Pacioretty injured or what Mark Stone injured, I, unless um, you did better research than I did. <laughs> uh, so there, there is an article from CBS uh, Sports, okay. uh, I, maybe from the Vegas area, but according to what that article says, Pacioretty has a lower bar, uh, that can't tell fine. He has a lower body fur and is considered week to week, according to Vegas head coach Peter DeBoer. And multiple reports indicate he suffered a foot injury, so definitely not good. And 32 years old, so um, you know, as you get into your 30s, uh, maybe the body doesn't uh, it, it doesn't handle the treatments as quickly. You know, it takes a bit more time to recover from. You know, what could be like, just like, oh, you'll be back in two to three weeks, a 20-year-old Sprite kid, um, you'll be back on the ice before you know it. It's a lot different when you're 32 years old. Um, so that injury was suffered in uh, the Kings game, their second game of the year, which is where Mark Stone got hurt. He's currently described as a day-to-day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, hopefully, I, I think, you know, I would like to say that the Golden Knights can survive without them. But at the same time, I'm not really sure because um, they're you know now it's like who do they have? I guess Riley Smith, Jonathan Marchessault, um, and Chandler Stevenson. But like those are their two best skaters. So and Shea Theodore, of course, too. But like everyone on Vegas is hurt badly. If um, you know six weeks is a long time for patches, but um, um, yeah, like not having Mark Stone is also like a bad thing. So any team would struggle without their two best players in the, in the league um, in the game. So well, and and when yeah. you also look at um, the line that both of those guys play on, the yeah. whole center point of Vegas's offense is how good their second line is. Right. Like last year, we couldn't stop raving about it. Like how Patches was killing it. He got like 174 shots on goal. Only scored on 24 yep. of them, but, like, his career was revitalized. He was averaging less than 18, 
of minutes per game, and he was scoring goals at even strength. He was scoring power play goals. Mark Stone being on his line kind of revitalized Pacioretty's career. And then you look at Chandler Stevenson, the impact that he had. Like, what's the second line going to look like if two of those guys that kind of made Chandler Stevenson last year in a way uh, become one of those underrated second-line centermen in the NHL? What happens if both of those are missing extended periods of time? It's not going to look good for Vegas. No. Because... um, of how important that line is and how that line solely relies on Pat Shreddy and Stone. Also, those guys have leadership capabilities that are going to be tough to miss. Fortunately, they uh, have Alex Petrangelo on the blue line, who was once upon a time an NHL captain and actually won a Stanley Cup as captain. So they have him to lean on for leadership, which is good. They also have Evgeny Dadnov, who, um, when the season started, was projected to be on the third line. Maybe his minutes uh, bump up uh, a little bit, and uh, they give him some reps uh, in a secondary role, uh, give him some secondary power play minutes as well. At the same time, though, even if Mark Stone is day-to-day and he comes back, what's the chemistry going to be like with Dadnov if, um, if they're on the same line there? That's, that's another thing that uh, should be worth considering, too. Um, I don't think it's going to, like, put Vegas on their heels and they're going to just start free-falling down the NHL standings. But I definitely think uh, they won't be as good as many people thought they'd be uh, with, with these uh, injuries in mind. Because don't forget, Alex Tuck won't be back for another couple of months. Right. I also saw that Nicholas is uh, dealing with an injury. I don't know if he's back yet, but at the time I checked a couple of days ago, he was uh, on IR. So that's that's a, another player that they can't use on on their forward group. So, yeah, Ve- Vegas is feeling uh, some early season problems at the moment. Uh, it looks like uh, Nicholas... Oh, no, Nicholas Roy is still on injured reserve. But they don't even have Pacioretty on injury, injured reserve. Or Mark Stone yeah. on there either. Uh, yeah, this is according to Cap Friendly, so I don't know um, what that means. But um, well, it, yeah. it should all. I should also mention, by the way, uh, and this could yeah, this could impact things a little bit. After the game against Los Angeles, Vegas doesn't play for eight days. Wow! So that helps Mark Stone heal his bumps and bruises, which yay, but. It doesn't change the timeline with Pacioretty. He's going to miss some time. Right. So maybe that's why it hasn't popped up on Cap uh, Friendly yet. Possible, because yeah. they don't really have to make any lineup changes if they're not playing. Yeah, good point, good point. All right. Um, so, yeah, the, the other good, the other point I wanted to make was that um, because this is the first time that it's like an 82-game season, like missing six weeks, yeah, it's pretty bad. But at the same time, you can make up that. Um, just because it's a longer season, whereas, like, opposed to last year when it was 56 games, like, you know, six weeks is pretty much half the season. So, um, yeah. So, so, yeah, I think uh, Vegas is still in there, but they'll probably have to do some catch-up when both guys are back. Um, all right, so we're going from one former Sen to another Sen. Uh, Brady Kachuk finally gets signed. Uh, Steve's been calling for this for... Um, forever uh at least this summer um and uh yeah so it was an uh a, a seven-year deal 
worth eight point uh, two. Uh, sorry, eight. Wait, why is the? So I don't know if you noticed this, but the cap. Uh, if you look at his cap friendly page, um, his, the first year is eight eight million three thirty thousand, but then the rest of the time it's eight two oh five. So I don't know why it's different for the other years. Well, part, partly because I think it's probably where he signed it, even though it was like the day. Oh, because it's prorated. because it was because the Sens uh, opening night was the day that uh, Kachuk signed that deal. Right. Uh, perfect timing to do that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but the NHL season started two days prior to that, so maybe in a roundabout way that impacts. Things, oh, that's but... possible. Or I, well, but like, wouldn't you think that? Oh, I see what you mean. Because he signed it the day that they first play their game. I see. I was gonna say like, what wouldn't you think it would be like the the re- the rest of the contract would be a little bit prorated, just even though you like if you miss one, yeah. Day, I guess it wouldn't make. Yeah, sense. that that did that did throw me for a loop. Right. right. Anyways, uh, Brady Kachuk um, has uh, in his career he has 125 points in 198 games. Keep in mind, these were on, like, the three Ottawa Senators teams that were terrible. Um, no offense, but I think you would agree, Steve. Um, yeah, they're not great, especially yeah. defensively. They're not great. Uh, last look year... At, look at Craig Anderson's numbers, that's all yeah, you need yeah, to know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last year, he led the league in points... Uh, sorry, hits. <laughs> you wish it was in points. Um, and he also had a lot of shots as well. So um, I think we even talked about that um, at one point last year where, like, uh, Brady Kachuk was, like, in the mix for most shots on goal and most hits, um, which is, like, a very, rare, very, very rare thing. So he's definitely, like, worth this money. It's I mean, this is going to be a common theme between the next contract as well, but it was kind of shocking that uh, the Senators, who were, like, didn't want to sign Mark Stone, um, who was more proven at the time. They didn't want to sign uh, Eric Carlson. They didn't want to sign Matt Duchesne, although you could kind of understand that one. Um, they didn't want to sign like a lot of their players. And yeah, they did, did, they did uh, put up a lot of money for Thomas Shabbat. But this is like a big, big sign that, um, that the Sens were able to get this done. Because um, like now it's like, uh, I guess Drake Batherson has a few more. Uh, he's he's on a long term contract, but this is like a good sign for Tim Stutzla um, in a couple years, and or uh, you know even like guys like Brandstrom or um, or Sanderson in a few years. It's like okay, like this the Senators are like a legitimate team now. Like they 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 are willing to sign the big guys. Um, and, you know, we just forget about the fact that they botched Mark Stone and they botched uh, Eric Carlson. Um, so, so yeah, I'm sure you have more on this than, than I do, but I, I, I do want to get that out as well. I have plenty more to add to this. <laughs> yeah. um, first of all, finally, they, they, they did it. Yep. They kept a star player. It's, it's a great day. Great, great day. Um, you're right that uh, Brady Kachuk hasn't led the league in points. Um, <laughs> yet, it, in terms of 82-game pace, uh, in each of his seasons, and he's been very consistent, 52 points over an 82-game pace his rookie year, then 51 the next year, 53 uh, last year. So 
at least he's consistent. He's around that same threshold, but in terms of actual points, 45 and 71 games as a rookie, 44 and 71 games as a second-year player, although it should be noted, um, missed some games because COVID pretty much canceled the rest of the regular season, and then played in every single game last year and finished with 36 points. In uh, those three seasons in order, he got 22, 21, and 17 goals. Um, as you would imagine, the Sens' defense uh, wasn't good. Their offense didn't really have any electrifying goal scorers, so by all means, he was their best goal scorer. But what really catches my attention with Brady Kachuk is what he can do in such a short period of time in terms of hits, in terms of block shots, or uh, sorry, not block shots, uh, in terms of hits and shots on goal, uh, I'm sure block shots uh, will, will come into f factor soon because he's just that good of an all-around player. Um, and just the way he affects his line mates and the way he draws penalties. People are talking about how good the Kachuk brothers have been when it comes to generating penalties, drawing penalties. And the ratio of penalties drawn versus penalties taken, I remember this uh, last year in particular. I can't remember the other two years where Brady ranked, but Brady was near the top of the leaderboard last year in penalties drawn. And partly because it's a pain in the ass to play against him, but when you are giving your team chances to do some damage on the power play, I feel that's worth as much as a goal scored in a way if the team knows how to take advantage of that power play which the sends you know at points look like they figured it out uh, at other points uh, they still needed uh, time to work on some things but getting back to the hits and uh, the shots on goal because brett you are right that is very important as a rookie he averaged 16 minutes and one second per game and halfway through that year march stone got traded and he really elevated his game. I remember vividly. He elevated his game to new heights when he left. So his second half of the season cannot be underestimated there. But he finished with 174 hits and 214 shots on goal. Not bad for a guy that's averaging just over 16 minutes per game and is a rookie and is a fixture on the top line. A lot can be said about that. Amazing stuff. Then, as expected... His ice time goes up to 18 minutes and 56 seconds per game, so just under 19 minutes. And the power play time on ice also starts to go up, but it's still under three minutes per game. He gets 303 hits and 259 shots on goal. Not bad for a 21-goal, 44-point season that year. And then last year, he had 220 shots on goal and 248 hits, despite averaging 18-14 per game, which is lower than the time on ice he averaged the previous year. And he also um, saw another uptick in his power play time. It was at 3.17 per game uh, for Brady Kachuk last year. To put all of these stats into perspective, Brady, as a rookie, was 57th in the league in shots on goal. I repeat, as a rookie... He ranked 57th in the league in shots on goal, 45th in hits across the league. Year two, eighth overall in shots on goal when the season was paused and eventually suspended due to COVID. And 
He sat second in NHL hits, behind only Ryan Reeves, who had just 13 more hits than Brady Kachuk did. And then year three, he finished second and second in shots on goal and hits, respectively. The only guy who had more shots was Austin Matthews. He had two more shots than Brady, but averaged an additional three minutes and 19 seconds per game than Brady Kachuk. Brady Kachuk second in hits to Rako Gudis this time, who only had two more hits than Brady Kachuk did on the season. So that right there shows you the role that Brady Kachuk plays. And when you look at the linemates that he's played, it's clear to see who drives the boat. You consider all of the young talent that the Sens have to offer and all of the talent that you're going to see down the road, those numbers are only going to improve from here. So that $8.2 million is is definitely well deserved it's not an overpay in my opinion in fact it could easily look like a bargain yeah but here's your picture brett and it's all going back to the image of this franchise we've said it till kingdom come that the Sens can't keep the star players didn't happen with carlson even though they said they made an offer to him he i guess disputes that but anyways uh the, either way they traded him Matt Duchesne, they said they made an offer to him. He decided to go to Columbus. They decided to give uh, an offer to Ryan Dezingle. He didn't take it. He also went to Columbus. In hindsight, probably the best move because that uh, offer was pretty uh, lucrative at the time, if I remember correctly. It was 5 by 5 pretty much of an overpay. And then Mark Stone was obviously the big one, and his play has only taken off uh, even further since he's arrived in Vegas. I know it's an RFA, but if they can't get this resolved, they can't get anything done with this team at all. So that's why it was important for the Ottawa Senators to sign Brady Kachuk because of what's to come. In order to be a Stanley Cup contender, in order to be a playoff contender, in order to be a team that generates interest from around the league from guys that actually want to play here, you need cornerstone players like Thomas Shabbat and Brady Kachuk saying, hey, come play for us. It's fun here. You'll love it here. Look at what the Jays did with George Springer. I know I'm talking baseball, but look what the Jays did with George Springer. George Springer was on a World Series contender in Houston. He could have stayed there. He didn't have to leave. The Yankees are also interested, and you know they're involved in every big-name free agent that's out there every single year. They were covering his services. He chose Toronto. Why? Young players, very talented hungry to win. He saw that. He doesn't care if it's cold in the winter. He's like, I like this team. I want to play for this team. This team is fun to watch, fun to be a part of. That can be Ottawa. Someday that can be Ottawa. And now that they have Brady Kachuk spreading the gospel, delivering that message every single night, being the lightning rod that this team needs, I'm at least optimistic that the Sens, down the road in a couple of years, can be a consistent playoff contender again. It would not have happened if they didn't get this done. But they did. It's over with. He's a senator for seven more years. I'll tell you the cons of the, the deal, Brett, um, in, in a little bit, and I'll get your insight later. But, but overall, um, I like this deal, and it's going to look real good for the senators uh, even moving forward. Yeah, I couldn't tell that if you liked the deal or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. I think um, 
I, I think uh, Brady Kachuk is a special player, and he's only going to get better, especially when guys surrounding him, the team gets better too. So, um, so yeah, I think it, it's only it's only going up. Um, and now, and now we go to the next guy, and I'll, I'll probably be gushing <laughs> equally as much on this guy. Uh, but um, it's not the only similarity. Uh, this is another Boston University alum. They had a pretty good week, I guess, from that that standpoint. Um, and it's uh, it's Charlie McAvoy. This is another guy that we've I've been saying like, well, when when you saw Seth Jones. Well, first off, I'll say the contract. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, so uh, the the extension. So he's still being paid currently at 4.9 million uh, for this year, which is pretty cheap, even even for what he does right now. Um, but what he, what he had before was, uh, or what he's he's about to get is uh, eight years at 9.5 million. This is the same contract that Seth Jones got. Um, pretty close to the same one that Kale McCarr got, uh, pretty close to the same one that uh, Wierenski got. I, I don't remember off the top of my head on all those ones, but I remember when those contracts were made up for all those young defensemen, I was just thinking like, okay, Charlie McAvoy is going to get paid, and the question is just like, by how much and stuff. So this puts him right at where Seth Jones is, and if you're saying, like, which one do you rather have, Steve? Charlie McAvoy at age 23 or Seth Jones at age 26? I would definitely go McAvoy <laughs> yeah. based on the numbers I've seen. I, I was that confident you were going to say McAvoy. So, so I, was, I actually don't know if uh, Seth Jones is age 26. But, but that takes me to my next point is uh, by the end of this contract, Charlie McAvoy is going to be 31 years old. Um, so that means that you, we pretty much have Charlie McAvoy locked down for his entire prime, pretty much. Um, and, and yeah, like, you know, and what, and I guess kind of like what the senators do is that, um, you know, I, I was kind of shocked that they were able to give him this much because usually, uh, Sweeney and, and let's be honest, Jeremy Jacobs, uh, usually tries to like, uh, like say like you know give these players like you know saying like saying like team friendly deals and stuff like okay you're doing this for the team you're doing this for the team that's how like David Pasternak was uh, went f- signed for six point six six million uh, Brian Marchand signed for six point one two five although at the time it was a pretty like big deal uh, uh, Patrice Bergeron was at six point eight seven five. Um, even Taylor Hall at six million—that's pretty good too. Um, you know, like there's a bunch of these guys that could go on and on. But like, you know, the Bruins are never known to like just like pay their players what they're actually worth. And Charlie McAvoy is definitely worth nine point five million. Um, and and yet, and what's what's crazy about it is and now that I go into his stats. Um, so last year, like the only thing, the only knock on Charlie McAvoy is that he doesn't play on uh, power play one, but on even strength, he's very good on the um, on the uh, the defensive side of things. Um, it's like the pr- primary. If he was playing on power play one, he'd be you know he'd probably average like thirty minutes on ice um, on average. But instead, like last year, take for example. He was averaging 24 minutes on ice, 
Um, and like he was he was on power play one towards the end of the season, but um, but like even if you took the year before that, he was averaging 23 minutes on ice, and the year before that he was averaging 22 minutes on ice. Um, and his rookie year, he was averaging 22 minutes on ice, and he's never looked like a rookie. Um, and you could knock on him for saying that like his points aren't there. It's not like a Kale McCarr situation, which is fair. But you know, Kale McCarr is not um, a normal defenseman. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, first, he's and, out of this realm. Yeah, he's out of this realm. But like, let's let's say it here. Uh, Charlie McAvoy had 30 points in 51 games last year. That's roughly, if I'm doing math, I'm doing math in my head right now. So that's 0.58 points per game. And if we times that by 82, which would be in a full season, that means he had roughly 48 points. Um, and that was without, like, with very little time on the power on the power play one system. So now it seems like, you know, with this contract, he better be on power play one. Um, and also he's, um, so like, like he, he had that many points when he didn't have to rely on the power play and he was still like, you know, really, really good. Um, and, um, a great like two way defenseman, arguably, um, and he got fifth in Norris votes last year without any power play one time. So, um, so yeah, this is like, you know, I feel like just like Brady Kachuk, I think Charlie McAvoy is only going to get better. Uh, he's 25, four years old right now. Um, and where, you know, and I, I think the best can come. Yeah, it's it's an ex- expensive contract. Um, and, like, it'll hurt, it'll sting when David Pasternak um, is going to be a UFA in two years. Um, and it will sting this year when Bergeron's a UFA this year. But, on the other hand... Um, Bergeron and Brad Marchand are on the other side of 30. Um, we, uh, David Krejci just retired. Tuka Rass, it's unclear if he's going to play or not. Um, you know, you do hope that Jeremy Swayman can be the guy. He's, he's looked like it, but you never really know with goaltenders and stuff like that. Um, but, like, you know, the Bruins are probably going to be on the rebuild for at least a couple of those years when Charlie McAvoy is on the contract. I, I just think it, it's inevitable that they're going to be on a rebuild. Um, it'll pretty much just be McAvoy and Pasternak um, and Swayman, hopefully. Um, so so I, I think th- this was something that you have to do. And um, honestly, when Bergeron retires or, you know, some for some reason he's not on the team, I think Charlie McAvoy becomes the captain. Um, and I know it, it, even if Brad Marchand's on the team... I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Charlie McAvoy because uh, he's definitely captain material and um, yeah, he's he's been our our savior almost pretty much because like we didn't have a Zdeno Chara replacement for a while. Corey Crew kind of filled that role, but then once Charlie McAvoy was in the league, then it's like okay, this is our guy and this is our guy that we're going to have for our, we want to have for a long time and and we finally did it so. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really happy about this contract, and I, I think I talked about just as much as you did on Brady Kachuk on Charlie McAvoy, but uh, but yeah, we got our guy. Yeah, I, I, I think you talked to him still less. I kind of rambled with the, with Brady, but that's a good synopsis of uh, McAvoy. <laughs> totally fair. Um, 
I, I am going to compare and contrast a couple of things with the McAvoy and Kachuk contracts because they're important. There's not a single cent on Brady Kachuk's contract that's signing bonus. $26.5 million of McAvoy's $76 million is signing bonus. The good news is the most that gets paid in a season is $4 million, and that's not until years five and years six. So th- there's the good news. It's a bit more manageable on that front. Now, when it comes to the strings attached for trades, McAvoy has a no-move clause from year three to year six. So that's not nothing for the first two years, but then for four straight years, he's got a no-move clause. He controls his own destiny there. Year seven, it's a 10-team trade list. Then it's a 10-team no trade for the final year. Wise to do that because... You know, if if the Bruins um, are in a difficult place and they and they need to move them for, uh, you know, a deadline package, it'll be a bit easier to do that way. So so that's good. Um, overall, it's it's a pretty significant raise. Uh, his previous cap it was four point nine million, which he signed in twenty nineteen with that crop of free agents that included uh, guys like Patrick Laine, for example, Matt Kachuk being another example. And going from 4.9 to 9.5 million, that's a big pay grade, but he's, he's, he's definitely worth it. Um, the thing with the Brady Kachuk contract and the McAvoy contract is, again, the Sens and Bruins are in opposite sides of the spectrum. The Sens are trying to win later. The Bruins are trying to win right this second, and their core is aging, unlike the Sens. So... The danger for the Sens is that Brady Kachuk has a no-move clause in each of the final three years of its deal. And if he's not really that happy with where the direction is going, he can call his shot. He can go anywhere he wants. And it's the same uh, for McAvoy if the Bruins decide, okay, we tried to win as much as we could with this group, but we might have to sell off some assets here. That cap hit and the no-move clause from years three to six could prove as a hindrance if they wanted to get full value for, say, a guy like Charlie McAvoy. And the reality is, from years two to five in McAvoy's deal, he's getting paid at least $10 million, which is a lot of money to be sending out to just one player. And, of course, the now the thing is, okay, well, you've got Pasternak coming up in two years. I know players are going to be willing to take less to stay in Boston, but if you're Pasternak, how can you not test the open market? The worst he can do is 35 goals a season. His average right now is probably 40 to 50 goals per year at the rate that he's going. How do you not test the open market and see what's out there in two years if you're David Pasternak? Pastor Mac, do not do not listen to this part of the episode. <laughs> just do not listen to this. I'm just saying hypothetically. Yeah, but hypothetically, just okay. don't do just don't do that, man. Come on, what are you doing? Like, do I say like what what like if Brady Kachuk tested the open market? Yeah, he would get a lot of money. Drake, uh, let's see here. What would be equivalent to? I, I guess you, you guys don't have one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, th- I think if we give D- David Pasternak a lifetime supply of Dunkin's Donuts coupons, yep, I'm maybe. sure you'll be willing to stay in Bean Town <laughs> because he seems like the perfect ambassador, as we've seen in the in the. I, I'm just saying, like, um, like wh- wh- what are you, what are you doing here? Come on, man. <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, but uh, in in all seriousness, um. 
to to get to your power play one point, I'm looking at Matt McAvoy on Dauber prospects right now. He, he in his first game of the year, he he posted 24 minutes and 18 seconds of total ice time. Yep. Three minutes and seven seconds of that was yeah power play time. And yeah, he's he now hasn't on... even gotten to two minutes uh, of power play time per season. Yep. And he and he had five shots in that game. Yep. No points, but he had five shots. Yeah, yeah, he he's so. that. I think that's been what like a lot of people and uh, particularly that I mean like the fantasy hockey circle. That's been a big part of like it. It's like he gets a lot of hits, he gets a lot of blocks, but without a lot of power play time, that kind of seems like a knock. And I feel like he would be in the top three of a Norris voting if he did get more of that power play time, um, and. So now that I feel like he will get a power play time, it's just like, you know, a matter of time um, uh, on like what he does with it. But I'm pretty sure with this contract, it's like, uh, it's a given that he's going to get that much time. Um, yeah, like you, you look yeah. at the hits, the lowest he's had is 65, which is last year. Yeah. He did that in 51 games. His right. highest was 133 as a rookie, which he did in 63 yeah. games. Yeah. And he's, like his highest, his highest games played was 67 in yeah. the COVID shortened season 2019-20. So like we're waiting for like that full 82 game season. Yeah. If you take into the 82 game pace, in three of the four seasons, this guy would surpass 40 points. Yep. Which is very very good for a defenseman. Of course, yeah. I mean, like obviously, I think like a Norris Trophy winner would probably be in the 50 to 55 range, even 60. Um, so, so he just, he has like, he's very, very close to getting there. I, 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 I think he, he gets a Norris at least once in his life, um, in his career, but we'll see. Yeah. Those offensive numbers, I guess, depend on who you are. Yeah. Uh, case in point, Tyson Berry. But it's, it's, it's going to be a lot really easier important. these next two years when like Bergeron and Marshawn are still good and Pasternak is still on a cheap contract. So, um, yeah. so yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, so now we go to, although he, the Canadians aren't really your rival as much as they're the Bruins' rival, but uh, but we're going to talk about a Canadians player now, Nick Suzuki. Um, he gets uh, he also gets eight years at uh, seven point eight seven five million. Um, Nick Suzuki, he was pretty much the the number one center for uh, for the last two years, pretty much, and I guess now the last three years, uh, but this is his uh, third year in the league. Um, he had 41 points um, in 56 games last year. I'm, I'm just looking at his stats right now. He had 41 points in his rookie season as well, but he played 71 games. <laughs> Where So, uh, so yeah, that, that just shows, like, okay, imagine what he can do in a full season um, if he was able to get the same point total in, like, 20 less games. Um and he's also, like, he's been decent on the face-off dot, although, like, 44% uh, face-off percentage last last year um, and 46% his rookie year. But that's that's decent for a rookie. This year, I guess it's, it's tough to really tell because it's a small sample size, but 48.9% uh, is his uh, face-off percentage right now. So, so that's decent. Um, and, yeah, he's, he, uh, he also showed up in the playoffs, last year uh where he had 16 points in 22 games um i'm sure that's a big reason why they also uh made him spend that much money but 
you know, it seems like Montreal has been looking for a center for a long, long, long time. And um, it's always been their weak point. Um, yeah, they still have to get another center. Um, and it was probably like, yeah, they probably shouldn't have given a Kotka Niemi that much money. But that, you know, that was ideally going to be their second line center. But there's no doubt in anyone's mind that Nick Suzuki is a one, um, a one C. Um, and um, so, yeah, it, it's a good deal for them and it could pay dividends for them eventually because like 7.875 is pretty cheap for a first line center. And th- this is where we look into the upside of Nick Suzuki because that is what the Habs are banking on with this yep. guy. In the first three years, he's making $10 million per year. Yep. For a guy that hasn't had a 50-point season, although to be fair, last year if you put him in an 82-game pace, 60 points isn't bad. But right away, is it worth $10 million? Uh, tough to say. And then you look at his rookie pace over 82 games, it's 47. Again, pretty good for a rookie, especially considering he had just almost to the nose 16 minutes of ice time per game, and that jumps to 18-11, and the power play time goes up, uh, and he's still just as effective, even more so effective as he was as a rookie. And then the playoff performances and and all that stuff. I could definitely justify committing to Suzuki long-term. The dollars are a different story and how they're spread out. This is what kind of concerns me about the Suzuki contract is the consistency. You look at how he started last year, 12 points in 15 games, and we were talking about him on the podcast when it happened. We were looking at uh, young guns on the rise, and he was one of the players that we highlighted. Then he hit a wall with five points in 12 games in the second quarter. And then a little better eight points in 12 games in the third quarter before he exploded for 16 points in the final 17 games. And again, this is all in the Canadian division. We don't really know how uh, he would have factored against all the other teams across the league. So it's, it's, it's worthy to keep that in mind. But... Um, if, if I'm Nick Suzuki, that's the main thing that I'm focusing on is, okay, good numbers, they're improving every single year, but consistently, quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four, they're looking for consistently, qual- uh, they're, they're looking for consistent production out of Suzuki, are the Montreal Canadiens. And obviously, that goes double for the faceoff dot, because of the departures of Philip Deneau, because of the departures of Yasveri Kakaniemi. Yep. And I think that 1,000% is why they signed this deal now. Yeah, yeah, good When point. you look at all of the names that are available, and Alex Barkov not being on there, like the two-way center everyone was looking at, he's off the market all of a sudden. Teams are looking at Bergevin saying, Man, you couldn't match an offer sheet for Yasperi Kakaniemi. We're definitely offer sheeting Nick Suzuki right. if you give him a, if you give us a shot to do so. Yeah. And Bergevin is like, nope, not gonna happen. I'm doing this right now before you guys even get a sniff. Like, yeah. you're not even gonna get a shot at the trade deadline. This is getting done right before the season starts. Yeah. And that was a great move by Bergevin. 
I'm interested to see uh, how it uh, ages over time. In terms of the no trade, it's a 10 team no trade for the final four years. No strings attached at all in the first four, so I like that. Um, and after the first three years, the contract becomes more digestible. But again, it's going to be like, how are the Habs going to look uh, a couple of years down the road? How are the winger options going to look? Is Josh Anderson going to be the guy that uh, we saw last year? Uh, what about uh, Mike Hoffman? Is, yeah. is he a power play specialist that we saw in Florida and we saw in Ottawa as well? Uh, is his uh, shooting uh, percentage going to be as effective uh, then as it is now, uh, now as it was back then? Those are all going to be factors to consider when you're paying a guy like Nick Suzuki to be your number one center. They're tired of looking for their number one center on the open market. They're banking on Nick Suzuki to be that guy. They're paying him to be their number one center. They literally just gave him the keys to uh, that luxury. Yep. So now he's got to make the most out of it. And it's it's going to be tough because as we've seen with Jonathan Drouin, as we've seen uh, with multiple um, other options at center over the past 10, 20 years, it's not always an easy thing to do to fill that role. I would argue it's probably just as tough as stopping pucks for the Habs, being Gary Price every night. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you made a good point about Philip Deneau. Um, I, I had forgotten about that. Although, to be fair, I don't think... Uh, uh, considering how much uh, Philip Deneau is being paid, I'm not sure Montreal wanted to pay that much um, for him. So, so maybe right. that's a good thing that they don't have him. But yes, but it, it, I, I was more so alluding to the fact that they had gone through all right. those losses at center. Yeah, there's no way they were gonna let this guy slip. Oh yeah, yeah, no, of, of course, no, I, I totally get it. Um, but uh, yeah. but I'm just saying that like you know, not only did they like get um, you know miss out on the Kotka Niemi, and they shouldn't have uh, matched that either. Um, but they, um, but yeah, they managed to, um, and then they also lose Philip Deneau. So it's like, okay, so now it's like, you have to have Nick Suzuki. It makes them more valuable to the team in that sense. Um, also, like what's, uh, two other points. Um, what's funny is like they offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo, which is how they got into this Kotka Niemi mess in the first place. But it is yep. funny, yeah, it's like, I, I don't think they would have even, like, offer-sheeted Sebastian Ajo if they knew what Nick Suzuki was capable of, because that was before his rookie season when they did that. Um, and then also, um, I'm just looking at their cap-friendly page right now, uh, you have Brandon Gallagher for a long-term contract um, uh, for, until 2026-2027, you have Josh Anderson until 2026-2027, you also have uh, Nick Suzuki till 2029 to uh, 30, 2030. Um, Jeff Petrie um, is uh, is also uh, Jeff Petrie, David Savard, uh, Jake Evans, uh, Joel Armia, and uh, Christian Dvorak are all um, going to be in on contract till uh, 2025, 2026, and that's four years from now. In context, you know, just saying years, it's hard to understand that. And then I didn't even get to the fact that, like, you have Mike Hoffman, who's on IR right now. You have, like, Shea Weber, um, who's still on contract from till 2026, 2027. And then who knows what's going on with Carey Price. And, and you have him for a while. So it's like, 
yes, you sign a lot of, like, that's the danger with signing a lot of long-term contracts is, like, yeah, they, they definitely are worth it. Like, you, you would say that Carey Price and Shea Weber were worth it at the start of that contract. But now, I don't know if they're, <laughs> they're worth that much that, the, that they it are should now. Be all, it should also be worth noting that uh, in a couple of years, they're going to have to pay Cole Caulfield, just saying. Yeah, Cole Caulfield's another one. Well, I was just focusing on, like, the long-term contracts, because it's like... Yeah, you have, like, but any, they, they but, impact like, the long-term contracts oh, yeah. to come as Oh, well. yeah, yeah, of course. But, like, all the more reason, it's like you don't have enough... You, you might not have enough money to sign Cole Caulfield uh, when, he's, when he's due, so... Uh, just because of all these long-term contracts. And I guess they could trade some of these guys, but it's like, yeah. who wants to take on Josh Anderson's contract <laughs> like when he has like six more years left um, after uh, Cole Caulfield's uh, contract is off? So, um, so yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a murky situation, but maybe it's like Bertrand's thinking like, okay, that's just a future Bertrand problem or future GM problem uh, to have, so... Yeah. We'll see. And, and that's the thing. You don't want to get into the habit of yeah. buying people out like the Rangers have done. Yeah, because, yeah, that's like, fair. I, I'm sure you could, like, generate, like, some sort of, like, a PR move to, to come play for Montreal and you've got the history to hype up. But, like, you, you don't build winners by, you know, signing players for big money only to buy them out four to five years later and the process repeats. That's, that's not sustainable. After a while, it catches up with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, so now the next uh, contract, we have two more defensemen to get to. Um, so this one is Ryan Kulak. Um, he has, uh, well, so I'm not going by this year's stats because it's small sample size, but uh, last year he had 17 points in 56 games, which it's, it's not great, but uh, not terrible either. Um, but like it, from a fantasy perspective, he had 97 hits and 106 blocks. He also spends a lot of time in the power play as well. Um, so, so yeah, he's, um, and he's been doing this for like the last three years. So, um, so it, it is a lot of money, although he didn't have a great year this past year, but you know, it could be worth it, um, in the long run. The only issue I have with this one is though, is that no Dobson. Um, he's going to be an RFA this coming year, um, and he's supposed to be the guy, um, although he hasn't really done that just yet, but it's like, why, why do you spend, why are you paying Ryan Pulak this much money for a long-term contract when you're, like, when you have Noah Dobson who's younger and can do this, uh, the same type of stuff that uh, Ryan Pulak can do? So that's the, my only concern is that, and then you also have a long-term contract with uh, Adam Pellick as well. So it's like, so you would like to keep Noah Dobson as well. So it's like, why, like, are you just going to be like the St. Louis Blues? who <laughs> would just have a lot of long-term uh, defensemen on contract. Um, that, that, that I could see that being an issue a long-term, but... Um, but it's, you know, I, I do like Ryan Pulak, though, so I, I can't really hate this contract too much because um, it's not that bad, but it's also, it's just, I don't know how they're going to manage this um, in the coming years with uh, Noah Dobson. And it is, it is an interesting point that you make because Pulak and Dobson uh, are both right-handed defensemen. Yep. And you also, Scott Mayfield, who looked pretty darn good in the playoffs and looked pretty good at times last year, 
So you're looking pretty stacked, and then, the, and then on the left-handed side, you have veterans like Chera and Green complimenting yeah. the likes of Adam Pellick. Um, and you also have Sebastian Ajo in the mix, uh, to a dark horse and Robin Sallow. I know it says Thomas Hickey there, but he's been buried in the minors, so he won't be there for too much longer, I feel like. Um, but they're, they definitely, in terms of like pure right-handed shots, uh, their options are, are limited on the right, right side. So e- even then, I think Dobson's probably going to get at worst second pairing minutes. Yep. The, the thing with, uh, Pulak and Pellick is they have this chemistry that for whatever reason makes the Islanders better. They're a better hockey club with the, with that one-two punch of Pellick and Pulak. And you know what the beautiful thing is, Brett? Eric Carlson is getting paid 11-plus million per season. True. Islanders keeping those guys cost $12 million per year. Oh, yeah. Good like, point. that is some... That is some great business by Lou Lamorello right there. And on top of that, there is no signing bonuses at all in Ryan Pulak's contract. And his average annual value, believe it or not, I know it's worth more when you consider the years. But the next defenseman that we're going to talk about is just a smidgen cheaper than the next defenseman we're going to talk about. It's $100,000... Um, cheaper for the Islanders to keep uh, Pulak on the roster than that other name we're going to mention. Yep. Uh, it's also interesting to note that the cap hit that Pulak's on now, that he signed in 2020, is $5 million. So when it comes to how much did his salary go up by, only $1.15 million. Not that big of a pay increase uh, at all. The bigger, their bigger question for the Islanders is, yes, you have Noah Thompson in the mix, but what's the contract for Matt Barzell going to look like in a couple right. of years when that's it's time to re-sign yeah. him? Because that's going to be, that's going to be the big one. And you also have, you know, pretty decent, I would call them lengthy bridge deals because they're longer than three years, slightly longer around the four year range. You have Beauvillier and Sorokin. So down the road, uh, how are those going to stack up uh, with the Pulak extension? Well, the other thing about uh, the Pulak extension that I noticed is that it's $6.15 million across the board. And it's not a case where, oh, well, we're, they, it's probably because they did nothing. No. Cap Friendly says it was updated. Lou Morel literally paid this young man $6.15 million, no change. From start to finish, yep. something we rarely see, because we see the cap fluctuate from year one to year two to year three to year four. This is straight up six point one five million down the line, right from the moment he signed it, right to the time it ends. And I think the sacrifice that the Islanders had to make was the the no trade perks. Uh, Pulak has a no trade clause for the first five years and a sixteen team no trade in uh, the final three years. Uh, that's half the bullet right there Um, but overall when you consider that he's a 27 year old uh, defenseman uh, just turned 27 as a matter of fact you look at the importance that tandem with Pellick is to the overall success of the Islanders Um, 
I definitely don't think it's the best bargain contract that is in the league right now. However, I definitely think it's one of the better ones. It might not show up on the offensive stat sheet. He might not get 40 points a year, but he'll do a lot of things right for this team. And that's what the Islanders need. They don't need flashy defensemen that can rack up the points, although it's nice to have one of those like Noah Dobson around. Yep. They play a brand of hockey that works when it matters. And that's what Lou Lamorello is looking for. He's looking for players that can provide that brand of hockey. And Ryan Bullock definitely provides it in spades. And they're going to benefit from that for the next eight years. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that point. I will. I do have two other points, though. Um, uh, first one is both Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak are 27 years old. Um, and I think that, that means at the end of this con, of both contracts, I think, uh, they'll be like, you know, towards the end of 30 years old. So that's, yeah. that's, um, that's kind of a knock. And uh, Noah Dobson is 21 years old, so six years younger than those two. Um, so it's like, and it's also like, I get what you're trying to do with the Eric Carlson comparison, but at the same time, it's like, I would rather have one good defenseman than like signing a pair to keep long-term because it's like, who knows? Like, let's say Adam Pellex gets injured uh, for the long-term, then that's going to affect Ryan Pulak's stats and vice versa. So it's like. It, it, it's, it makes it even harder to gauge how good they can be without the other person. Um, and also, I was just like, you know, I was just doing some looks at uh, Noah Dobson's stats versus Ryan Pulak's stats. Um, so, uh, Noah, uh, Ryan Pulak had 17 points last year. Uh, Noah Dobson had 14 points. So, pretty comparable. However, Noah Dobson played in 46 games. And uh, Ryan Pulak played in 56 games, so, uh, so, so like Noah Dobson had a better point uh, per game average. Again, although that's like 30 percent basically <laughs> points per game, so it's not like a huge deal. But like, um, still like 17 out of 56. That's um, that's that's um, oh yeah, I guess it is pretty similar. Now that I look at it, they're both 30. <laughs> Uh, but like uh, Noah Dobson is slightly better but like you know even still it's like he uh, like three points uh, less in, in 10 point games is are 10 more 10 fewer games I can't speak for some reason um, <laughs> that you know like that just shows how good no Dobson can be so it's like uh, I feel like this is another thing where I, I feel like yeah I like the contract now for Ryan Pulak and Adam Pellick but I feel like it's going to look really, really bad towards the end of that contract, um, and especially when you have to sign Noah Dobson pretty soon, so um, or next year. So I, I'm just going to be curious to see what what they do with Noah Dobson um, in the future. Um, anyways, uh, then we go to our last guy here. Um, it's probably the shortest contract, but um, it's still noteworthy. It's uh, Matthias Eckholm. Um, he gets four years, six point two five million. Um, yeah, what, what's interesting about the Predators is that we were, like, you know, he he was on the trade bait block for the last year or so. Um, even when they were getting good, we were thinking like, oh, okay, Ekholm could still be on the trade market because it's not like the Predators 
are contenders now, even though they made the playoffs and all that stuff. So it's like it was still, it still wasn't. It wouldn't be crazy if they decided to trade Matthias Eichholm because the, you know they also traded Victor Arvidsson. They uh, it seems like they're they're working their way towards a rebuild um, and all that stuff. But on the other hand, um, yeah, they they ended up signing him. So it was a little bit strange just because it's like. Well, so this just shows that the Predators are going to go for it because it's, it's going to be kind of hard to trade this if, if they're going to do that. So it's like, I guess he has some job security. But here's the thing. Matthias Eichholm has, is 31 years old, uh, so roughly the same age as uh, Roman Yossi, or exactly the same age as Roman Yossi. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's making $3 million less than Yossi, which, is, which makes sense. Um, <laughs> no one's saying that. But then, like, if you look at his point totals, uh, he had 19 points in 48 games. Uh, the year before that, he had 33 points in 68 games. Um, and then um, when he was 28 years old in 2018 to 2019, he had 44 points in 80 games. So that was by far his best year. Um, and he even got, I didn't even realize this, but he got some Norris votes that year. Uh, he, he came in 10th place that year. Um, but, uh, so he's never really going to be known for a point guy, even despite that one year when he was pretty good. But he also does pretty much everything else right. He's one of those, like, go really good two-way forwards, or sorry, two-way defensemen. Um, and, um, yeah, he, he's, he's pretty good on, like, the two-way stuff. You hardly ever see him making mistakes when you watch a Nashville game. So I think from that perspective, it's probably worth it. Um, but it, it was a little bit shocking that they were able to sign him because he, they could have gotten a lot out of him in the in the open market. If they were to trade him, I should say. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize until I looked at the contract, oh my God, he's 31 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is part of the reason why it's a four-year deal and it's wise for David Poyle to go down this route. Um He's not as electrifying as Roman Yossi. His best season was 44 points in 80 games. I feel like that would be one of Roman Yossi's worst seasons. Yep. But again, that's not what Matias Ekholm is. Matias Ekholm is in Roman Yossi. He's a solid two-way defender and highly regarded in Nashville's system. He can eat up 22 to 23 minutes per game. He's done it over the past five, six, seven years. Um, he's blocked 100 plus shots in a regular season. One, two, three, four, five, six times in his career. Um, and he can uh, throw his uh, body around. He can uh, get, you know, a decent amount of shots, like 120 to 130 shots a year, I think is a good estimate for him. Um, in the past uh, three seasons, he's, uh, if he hasn't gotten 40 points, he's been just shy of it. Um, so that's good. He's in the prime of his career. Um, and not and not a power play one guy like we mentioned with McAvoy. Um, the most that he got in a full season was a minute 52. And that was in 2017-18 when he had 10 goals and 34 points in 81 games. So, uh, again, more considered as an all-around defenseman. When I look at the four-year contract, and you look at uh, the four-year contract uh, that Mikhail Granlund signed in the offseason, 
and the five-year contract uh, they gave to UC Saros, uh, partly because Askarov's in the mix, but either way, it's not like they gave him like the full eight-year deal like they gave to Duchesne and Johansson. I think part of the reason why um, they haven't really been as generous with those uh, lengthy contracts is because the Johansson and Duchesne contracts haven't aged well. And they're part of the reason why the Preds are in this position right now, and that needs to change. So while I do recognize the importance of Matias Yekel, when I saw that four-year contract, I'm thinking, you know what? They may not be rebuilding now, but in a couple of years, if things don't really go the Predators' way, and David Boyle has to make more tough decisions, he's equipped to do that. And yes, the $6.25 million cap hit is going to hurt the Nashville Predators with Matthias Yekholm if his play starts to regress. However, he can be traded anywhere. They can trade him to Buffalo, yeah. honestly. there There's not a single no trade attached. They can trade him to Buffalo. They can trade him to the worst team in the league. There's nobody stopping the Nashville Predators from dealing Matthias Yekholm anywhere. They could deal him tomorrow if, 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 uh, if they wanted to so long um, or... I, I don't know if he has any uh, no no move uh, clause in the final year of his current deal, which is three point seven five million per. Um, but at the very least, starting next year, if they wanted to trade him as soon as the new trade kicks in, they could theoretically trade him anywhere. So that's the perk of this situation uh, between uh, Matthias Ekholm uh, and David Boyle and the Predators from the team's perspective. Um, but hopefully he doesn't get to that because Ekholm is still a valuable part of this group. I definitely think this group has what it takes to turn it around. Um, but they're going to have to find other ways to make that happen. And I've mentioned it in previous episodes, a buyout of one or both of Johansson and Duchesne is likely if things don't change. Right. They can't ride those guys for the next four to five years and just hope that at some point they'll wake up. Because yeah. at some at some point, it you realize it just isn't gonna happen. Right, right, yeah. No, that's that's true. I, I guess you know I I feel like they should rebuild, but I guess you're right that this contract just makes it seem like they're not actually going to rebuild. So it's 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 a weird situation for sure. But they also have Philip Forsberg, which will be another interesting case. They haven't committed to him yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. Yeah, well, what's interesting about that situation is when um, when they traded, I forget if it was when they traded Ryan Ellis or when they traded uh, Arvidsson, but uh, Forsberg put down a thumbs down in his Instagram story. It was Arvidsson. It was Arvidsson, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like, um, so I, I, it's clear that he's not happy with the Predators. So it, it seems like maybe like Fors, we'll see Forsberg in a different uniform next next year but um but yeah you would think that um that would like signal to Poyle saying like okay our our star player is unhappy here um we could we we should be rebuilding instead um so we'll see but I I think they should but yeah I I don't know what what Poyle's doing I guess um anyways uh that's about it enjoy I've been enjoying these uh hockey First weeks here. Um, I'm glad that the Bruins could win. Your your sends are actually looking pretty good. Um, 
they they just beat the Dallas Stars a few a few uh, hours ago. Um, so we'll see. Um, and it, it's just exciting because it, it now feels like okay, everyone has a shot at the cup except for the Sabers, um, but and the Coyotes. Um, it's funny because the Sabers are yeah. actually two and zero right now. Yeah. Do you know how low I was in, or desperate I was in watching hockey? Uh, the Sabres and the Coyotes played on Saturday at 1 p.m., and I watched the whole game. <laughs> I'm like, just like, that's just how low I, I've gotten, is that like I was keeping tabs on this like hockey game that I know both teams are terrible and not trying this year. It's just... <laughs> the, the one thing that I'm... Uh, and I think I've mentioned this, uh, the one thing that I'm looking forward uh, to or the one thing I'm paying close attention to for the Buffalo Sabres is Craig Anderson's pursuit to 300 wins. Right. He's, eight oh, wow. He's eight away from 300 wins all time. Yeah. He uh, got the win in the opener against uh, Montreal when Buffalo won 5-1. to one. Um, He didn't uh, play in the second game, so he didn't get the decision there. Uh, but uh, things are off to a good start for him, which yeah. knowing Craig Anderson, probably on that uh, Buffalo defense, he'll post a 900 save percentage like he did uh, on those terrible Ottawa defenses. Yeah. Uh, well, what was crazy? What was what was even crazier, or funny about that Sabres Arizona game is that it was like both backup goalies as well. So it's just like, it's like <laughs> what, am, what am I doing at this point? How how desperate am I to watch hockey? Um, I guess a lot. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, that about does it for us here. Um, in in uh, Lace Them Up, you can uh, follow us on Lace Up Podcast on Twitter. Um, our Facebook is Lace Them Up, although we don't really upload it or update it that often. Um, that, and you can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, that's about it for us. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 291 of the Lace Up Podcast.